Last time we began to look at a story about a man who had plenty of money and, and plenty of moral goodness. And we heard how he wanted to obtain or inherit eternal life. But as is the case with many people, some people come to the table asking things in such a way that gives us the impression that they think that they are automatically a shoe-in to that in which they're asking. What are you talking about? Uh, it would be like uh, a friend of yours is a manager of some store or some organization, and you know you've been looking for a job, and then your friend tells you, well, all you have to do is just come in and fill out the application, and you pretty much got the job. So I believe this moral man, uh, that he was asking Jesus' question, uh, making these statements, good teacher implying that he himself was also good. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This young man, before he came to Jesus, Oh yes, he had all of his ducks lined up in a row. His spiritual resume was complete. His dealings as a businessman, uh, that they were replete with wisdom. Now, the only thing that was left in his life, he just needed Jesus to, to sign off on his get into heaven form. That's all he really needed. Uh, and we saw back in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, how uh, uh, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, that this man, he came uh, running up to him and he knelt before Jesus. Jesus was just being Jesus. But this man, uh, this rich man, this young rich man who happened to be a ruler, that he had ulterior motives. Have you ever seen someone with ulterior motives? They say that they are your friend. But way back somewhere down, you know, you can't point it out, uh, that they have some kind of agenda going on. And Jesus knew this. But you see, when you are a self-made person, someone who has always pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps, then you have very little use for the demands of Jesus. Why do you need Jesus when you have already made yourself out to who you are? Why do you need Jesus if you're a billionaire? Why do you need Jesus if you are at uh, the very peak of your career making the type of money that you need to make? Why do you need Jesus? So shocked by Jesus' response, he walked away. This rich, young ruler, he walked away from Jesus. His bank account was full of money, but his heart was devoid of God. So in last week's message, we discovered, number one, that being moral is good, but it ain't good enough. 
And we also discover that at the end of the day, God really wants to bond with you and me. All this fluff and all these other things. At the end of the day, do you realize that God wants to speak to you? Do you realize that you need to speak to God? Oh yeah, uh, you read his word and you speak to God, but do you really know that God is speaking to you? Or are you just living your life full of ritual and tradition? So today we continue this message as we consider our own specific responses to what happened to that man and even what we believe about this heaven process. Please now let's turn with me to Mark 10, beginning in verse 23. Mark 10, verse 23. And the first thing that we find out is that entering God's kingdom, it's hard. Entering God's kingdom is difficult. Verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Your morals, your wealth, or your networks will not get you into heaven. Newsflash. So Jesus, he looked around and told his disciples that it was difficult for people who have money uh, to make it into the kingdom of God. This comes from the backdrop of a man who wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. Again, back in Mark 10, 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, that should immediately bring a response or to your remembrance, if you remember in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, Verse 30, where another person asked one of the apostles, what must I do to be saved? And if you really think about it for a moment, you realize that this man's question is self-defeating. What? What do you mean this question is self-defeating? Well, a question such as this is true also for the same person who asked the question, what must I do in order to be saved? But for this man, look carefully at his words. The idea of an inheritance or to inherit means that someone must die in order to ensure what has been given can be given. So if you, again, we talked about this a little last time, if you are a beneficiary of someone who has left you stuff after they have passed away, what do you do in order to obtain that stuff? It all starts with that relationship, and that's very, very true. But you don't do anything to get what someone has given to you upon their passing. Isn't that true? 
So if they have passed, you don't say, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to do now to get your stuff? You see, that would be equivalent to the person who, after Jesus died on the cross, who says, what must I do in order to get that salvation? Well, you can't do anything unless he has already given, given it to you in his will. But in order to receive that with Jesus, you have to believe on him. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 through 17. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Verse 16. And here's the key. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. So you can't get what someone has bequeathed to you unless they have first passed away. You cannot earn your way into heaven. And for that, I say amen and thank you, Jesus. Because you see, once you start earning your way into heaven, then you got to earn your way to keep yourself in heaven. Peter says that there is an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. Hebrews 9, verse 17 now. For a will takes effect when... Only at, okay, let's try it again. Maybe some saw, maybe some did. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 17. Let's try it again. For a will takes effect only when at death. Read it. Since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. So you can't earn your inheritance. You can only receive your inheritance. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad that your salvation is not based on you? Amen and thank you, Jesus. Eternal salvation uh, cannot then be earned. It must be given and only given to the one who has placed their belief by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is exactly the point that Jesus conveys to the disciple and to us. But yet, in our own triumphalism, we tend to think salvation is based on our works. Only if I'm good enough, only if I'm this, and only if I'm that, and you will only yourself straight to hell. Back to Mark chapter 10, verse 23. In our passage now, Jesus, he looks around. And remember we talked about earlier, uh, I think it was verse 21 in Mark chapter 10, and Jesus, uh, he was looking at the rich young man. And we remember from last time that when he looked at the young man, that he was looking at him intensely. He was looking deep down at his soul. We talked about that last time. But now Jesus, he looks around, and this is not the same type of look. Jesus was simply looking around uh, to gather the attention of the disciples to let them know that what he would uh, would about what he was about to speak that he was speaking to everyone, Amen. So this was a different look, not the same look, but a different look. That all-encompassing look 
which hopes to leave no one out of the discussion. This is where Jesus was. It is difficult, Jesus says, for those who have wealth or those who highly value stuff, or I'll say highly value junk over the Lord to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says. I remember the days, I hope my father doesn't mind, but I'm sure he'll probably laugh when he thinks about it, that one of the things that my mother always complained, complained about was that my father, he was always throwing stuff away. She would always say, Julius, where's my stuff at? He's like, well, I don't know, maybe I threw it away. And, and he would say, oh, you got so much junk around here. And, she, and then she would get upset and say, how are you going to call my junk junk? I need that stuff. You know how it is, right? Man, I got a house just like that. We got junk everywhere. And you know what? Your junk and your stuff is really special to you, isn't it? But it's only special to you until somebody comes over to your house. Then when somebody comes to your house, you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me do this. Wait, 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 can, can you wait right there for one second? Wait right there one second. Yeah, we're having you know, some other things done on our house, and I had, I had a guy over the other day, uh, two days ago, and he came in, and I really, I really didn't think about it much. I said, he says, I need to walk around your house and check out all your rooms. Uh, he needs to measure the, uh, the square footage of your house so he can do a new air conditioning unit in the house. But anyway, so I need to walk around your house. I'm like, okay, I didn't think about it. And I went back upstairs to work, and I'm like, uh-oh, wait a minute. And I went... <laughs> Went running to my room, I moved stuff out the way, and then I said, well, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry, I got all this junk. And then he says, I uh, took him to the basement, I said, man, there's so much junk down here. He says, well, I tell you this, at least I can see your floor. <laughs> and then I said, oh, all right, then. <laughs> I said, in that case, you can see the floors in every room in our house, at least, so I felt good then. But some of us, we highly value our junk more than we value entering the kingdom of God. This goes along with what Jesus already said to the man, but it is now directed towards his disciples. Uh, the words of Jesus have that sort of effect on people. As one preacher friend of ours uh, that he always says, he says that uh, the word of God will either drive you away or draw you near. One of two things will happen, that the word of God will uh, draw you near or drive you away. What is the word of God doing to you today? Is it drawing you closer to him? Or is it pushing you away? Will you walk away fully embracing Jesus? Well, today after this message, will you walk away with your head turned down? Because you know that you are not willing to embrace the demands of a holy God on your life. What are you going to do today? This rich man, he was struggling. He struggled as he walked away. But he walked away defeated. Because the demands of God was too great for him. What he possessed in life obviously had far greater value to him than what he thought God could provide. 
Again, what about you? Do you value stuff in this life more than God? Then how do you show it? By hearing from God as you regularly read Scripture? Or by praying the regular deep prayers to the Lord that you say that you serve? Do you value God in your giving? Do you value God uh, by showing your regular attendance through the study of the Word of God and Bible study? Or is your value in God only according to your terms? You see, God, uh, I'm willing to do what you want me to do, but first, God, you have to meet me halfway. But Jesus goes on to say that it is overall difficult to enter the kingdom of God without qualifying his statement this time uh, with the word of wealth. Uh, did you notice that? First time he says in verse 23 how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Then the next verse, how difficult it is simply to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, the same can be said and be true of those who become mayors or lead Fortune 500 companies or the owner of some successful organization or if you're the boss of where you are. Now I say this because I wonder if the disciples saw this wealthy man walk away and then wonder if he was so faithfully in his morality and if faithful in financial matters, if this was true of this man as they were looking at him, then they were probably saying to themselves, then it's probably impossible for me to enter the kingdom of God. Mm. We must understand that these disciples, that they were still learning. And that some of the truths that Jesus continued to lay out for them, there was one challenge after the next challenge. And I tell you, if, if you are never challenged by the word of God today, I'm not, I, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about the fluffies or the feel-goods. I'm not talking about that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if God does not challenge you where you are, then something is wrong somewhere. And I want to let you know that I'm not in this business to make you feel good. That I'm not in this business so you can become my best friend. I want you to know that I am willing to preach so hard and so accurately that you're willing to run out of here and I am left alone in this place. I want you to know that I would rather not have car, not have house in anything and preach the word of God versus giving in to what you think preaching is and, and water down what thus says the Lord. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. I ain't got nothing anyway. Well, I got my wife. As long as the Lord will allow her to stay with me. And guess what, Pastor, Pastor Scott? I only have one. But nevertheless, the disciples had two concerns about what Jesus was teaching them. Number one, they wondered again whether or not if anybody could be saved. And then number two, that was verse 26. And then verse 28, uh, their other concern was that they left everything and followed Jesus. Let us walk with these things, through these things now. The questions about inadequacy and doubt. Uh, Mark 10, verse 26. 
And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Do you see that? You get that? So in other words, first Jesus says that who can be saved. In other words, he says that you can't do it on your own accord. He's saying that here now. Right? But then his next phrase, he says, not with God. He doesn't just limit it to salvation. Do you see this? Because he says what? He said, all things are possible with God. What have you been crying out to God for? Do you think it's impossible for God to meet your needs? So a person who seems to have it all together spiritually, yet falls short, places doubt in our own minds about our future. The disciples were at first, they were amazed at the words of Jesus. And then in verse 26, they were exceedingly astonished and amazed. It is that look at someone else that we deem to be the model of faithfulness that we, that we discover sooner or later that they don't live up to our expectations. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 17. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, sums it up when he tells Samuel in his search to anoint the king of Israel. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his statue. In other words, uh, the Lord was telling uh, Samuel, you know, just because someone tall, uh, don't you know that they can be anointed of the Lord? Because I rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on what? God is not looking at what you got on. Don't you know that? God could care less how you braid your hair. Really, God doesn't care whether or not if you shave your hair, ladies or not. Some guy will, but I want you to know that God doesn't care at the end of the day. Because God is looking at the condition of your heart. Another way of, of, of saying this is that you can't tell a book. Come on, you know what it says. What? You can't tell a book by its cover. So those who have the appearance that they are holier than thou, they just might not be holier than thou. Boy, only if you knew some of the conversations I have with people. That's all I can say. So what we observe on the outside in a person's life may not be true unless we have had a chance to really know them and see them in action. You don't really know a person until what? You get a chance to know them. But of course, when we are in the middle of the fray, we may miss these all-important words of the Lord. So stopping and looking at a person's face, thinking that you know what's going on in their heart, guess what? You just might be wrong. Because spiritual things that they must be discerned. Spiritual things, they must be 
discern. In other words, it is the Spirit of God that must tell you what's going on that you can't tell, oh, look at that person because X, Y, and Z is going on. I can just look at them and tell. You can't look at nothing, so just stop lying. So the disciples were just dumbfounded as to the reason why those that seem to have it together cannot be saved. It's like finding out, can you imagine, that one of your discipleship class teachers, that they end up going to hell. Can you imagine that? One of those teachers that teach here, yes, even at the Church of Chicago, can you imagine that one day you find out that they're really not saved? Because I also know some people there who are deacons and churches and things like that. Praise the Lord, not here. But I do know of other people that that is the case, that they have titles in the church and they do not know the Lord. But are you good enough? Brothers and sisters, are you holy enough? Have you kept the commandments? This question plagued some people. For once it plagued me as well because I did not fully embrace the effectiveness of the work of Jesus on the cross as being all sufficient for me. Grace alone. Faith alone. In Christ alone. Grace alone. Faith alone. In Christ alone. Uh, let's try it again. Grace alone. Faith alone. In Christ alone. So Jesus explains it is impossible to see heaven on one's own accord, but possible only through God. He was not saying this to suggest that salvation is possible for some and, and not probable for others, that God's power does not have limitations in delivering people into salvation and allow them to enter, ultimately enter into the kingdom of God. So as we proclaim God's kingdom, we announce salvation is available to everyone. But also at the same time, proclaiming God's kingdom means that God wants to be present in every single aspect of your life. That's right, guys. That's right, ladies, children, that God wants to be present in every single aspect of your life. Man, that has tremendous repercussions. Tremendous. Because what if, what if I'm a police officer and I'm on the, the, the streets of the city and I love Jesus Christ and I know that every person has been made in the image of God that I find myself that I may have to shoot someone. Is God present? Is God present in my life when I have to defend someone? Is God there, his kingdom? Is it present in, 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 in my life if someone on my job asked me to hide a file? Is God's kingdom agenda effective and present in my life even in those moments? This salvation is only possible through God alone and Jesus Christ. But the disciples still had that very pious and well-off person in the back of their mind. So entering God's kingdom is not just difficult, it is impossible without God's help. Jesus says that it is easier for a camel, right? 
How many humps uh, does a camel have on his back? Imagine that. He said that it is easier for a camel, camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a man of wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And, and that just really, that just really fascinates me. And it fascinates me because I remember those times of trying just to pass a piece of thread through one of those needles. Right? Even today, try it at home. You know what I'm talking about, and you put your spittle on it. My uh, spittle is sanctified spit, right? Uh, so you, you put your spittle on the end of thread, right? And then you, you look at it. For some of you, not for me, you may need glasses or magnifying glasses also in your hand to look at the eye of the needle to make sure you're there. And then you begin to pass and you say, I got it. And you know how it is. You begin to take that thread and you say, got it. And you push it through and you realize that that, 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 that thread goes. Right? And then you do it again, sanctified spittle, right? Right? And then you try to pass it through again, and it goes, not, this time it goes, and then you say, I know what the problem is. The end of the thread is frayed, so therefore I will cut it so I can make it nice and clean. And then you still add, but just in case, just a little spittle on it. And then you, and then you try to pass it through the needle, and that thread goes, so imagine a camel with just one hump trying to get through that needle. But imagine this. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a sewing needle than it is for the person who loves their children, who loves their parents, who loves their spouse, who loves their job more than Jesus to enter the kingdom. Because some of you, you know, you love things more than you love Jesus. And I can tell because you spend more time with those things than you do with the one that you say that you love. But there are plenty of people in this sanctuary and other places throughout the world that have given up plenty to follow Jesus. In fact, the same holds true for those considering trusting in Christ. Either you think that you've given up too much or you think that you will lose too much by following our Lord. But I tell you, let Jesus alleviate your fears about what you have given up in order to fully follow him. Verse 28, Mark chapter 10. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So Peter speaks in response to what happened and told Jesus that they left all to follow him. But I would like to add that what Peter told Jesus also reflects the mindset of those who are faced with this life-changing decision about Jesus Christ. If you happen to be a Muslim, 
You run the risk of totally losing your entire family if you turn to Christ as your Redeemer who loves you more than you can imagine. In fact, just this year, the beginning of this year, 2016, in Uganda, there was a young man who turned to Jesus Christ and he totally left Islam. And his parents burned down his house. And they tried to kill him. Why? Because he gave his life to Jesus. Well, your parents may not try to kill you. Who knows? They just might. I'm not sure what your family situation is. But I want you to know, when Jesus means all in, he means all in. Yet we in our culture must very carefully consider if we will identify with the Lord. You're going you're gonna to have to make choices, brothers and sisters. You're going to have to do it. I mean, just listen to the news. Listen to the people that we got to vote for. If you were to completely commit to the Lord, it may mean you would no longer be able to hang out with some folks whose lifestyle is questionably and spiritually dangerous. One example would be to those people who want to get drunk or high enough in order to become more spiritual. I've known people like that. I've had vegetarian friends who uh, wanted me to follow down many years ago this path to this true spirituality. They were vegetarian. They would talk about me because I would, I would love my hamburgers, right? And I would love my hot dog. I would, you know, come on. I would put a, some tomato and some onions and some lettuce on it. Come on. I wasn't totally crazy, right? Uh, um, but they were always, don't you know what they do to those animals? Don't you know this, that, and the other? And then, so they would talk about all this stuff, and then they would turn around and snort coke. Sounds like someone that we heard recently who insisted that everybody in his organization, uh, that he wanted everyone to become vegetarians. He said things like, you know, uh, uh, you have no business eating anything that has parents. But yet, there was something else in his life that was not on the up up, that no one knew. They knew that they completely denied there's no way in the world that he could be doing that because he was a vegetarian. He loved all people. He was a nice person. But yet, in the back room, there's always darkness. In the back room, there's always darkness. Huh, folks, they're going to call you uncool. I still to this day have people that will not talk to me that have been my friends since high school. Do you realize that? Do you realize, and it wasn't, it wasn't for the fact that I was saved, but when I began to tell them, you must know the Lord, they turned away from me this day, today. They will not talk to me. And I want you to know that the devil will use peer pressure, and we're not just talking about kids, folks. He will use peer pressure to get you back into his fangs. Same line of thinking is true, not just in that negative sense, but also true with some of your best friends and even at the place where you work. In fact, you may even run into people who identify themselves as Christian 
who tell you it don't take all that to serve the Lord. It don't take all that to follow Jesus. People who say that they love Jesus. This is very interesting, I think. So we must ask ourselves, not if it takes all of that, but rather, are they truly Christians? Amen? So because we heard from last week's message that following Jesus means we must be all in and not become half-hearted in this Christian life or become half a disciple because there is no such thing. Christian life is not like playing horseshoes. Well, closeness matters. It can determine the winner of the game. No, 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 no. Within the Christian life, that we all must be dead on. We must be centered. We must hit the bullseye if you are ever to obtain the prize of relationship with God and eternal life. So what exactly do we stand to lose or gain by following Jesus? Houses, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, land, he says. Again, this is significant. These things are important because they provide stability in your life. If you know that you don't have a job and the person that you live with, that they are some other kind of faith, and they tell you if you follow Jesus Christ, you're out of there, and you know if you're out of there, you have no place to live, will you give your life to Christ? If you've ever been away from home for a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that when you're away from home, you have that longing in your heart for home. Now, this is not true for everyone because everyone doesn't leave home the right way. Neither does everyone have the right set of circumstances in which uh, they even love to be at home in the first place. So we're not really talking about you. What we're talking about is where the situation is relatively normal. And I say relatively because whose household situation is completely normal? What is normalized? I would say normalized is that thing in which there is a spiritual purity all the way through. And that doesn't simply, that does not exist on this side of heaven, which is why we must continuously, right, here it is, right? We were, uh, I was helping my son change his battery to his car the other day, this past week. And one of the things about, uh, the funny thing about batteries is that, you know, when you get in your car, you start it up, you, you take it for granted. Because you always believe that the power is present for you to get where you need to go. To go from point A to point B. Start it up, turn on the radio, and now we charge all our other stuff. So we take it for granted, not realizing that every single day in which we use that battery, we are draining resources from it. Every single day, that battery is becoming weaker. A little, every time that you start the car, every time you turn the radio on, every time you charge something, that battery is becoming weaker, weaker. And weaker by the day. You can't see it because you just take it for granted that that power is going to be there. But eventually the battery, it just shuts down. Much like our life. And this is why we need to be in church. Because as we live our life from day to day, every single day it takes a little bit from us. 
And the longer that we are away from hearing God's word, the longer we are away from the spirit doing tremendous things in our life. And oftentimes it comes through community. We become weaker and weaker. And then we begin to wonder, what's wrong with me? Am I depressed? Why am I depressed? I don't understand. Well, what's wrong with you is that you need to get to church. That's why you're paranoid. That's why you're this. That's why you have no strength. Because you cannot find that in the Lord, Hebrews 10.25. Do not forsake the assembly together yourself as some, as is the manner of some. Why? Looking at church on television is not good enough. It's okay. But it is not good enough that the word of God says you must be in fellowship. You must be in fellowship. But nevertheless, we are saddened in our hearts to think we have lost plenty in order to follow Jesus. Again, here Mark 10.29, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. But look at that last part. See that? Do you see the last part or did you just skip over that? Did you just celebrate the fact that, oh, thank you, Jesus, I'm ready to dance now because all the things that I have left from following you, I'm going to get it back in the kingdom. Hallelujah. Let's have a dance party up in here. Uh, go ahead. Let's do the sanctified electric slide or the Cuban shuffle in the presence of the Lord because all that I lost that I'm going to get it back. Amen. Let's stand up and shout and say hallelujah. But we miss the one part that says with persecutions. Jesus says it's not going to be easy. You're going to get it back. Look, so the friends that I lost since high school have more than double and triple than all of you. Can you imagine that? You are my friends in the Lord. So what I have lost then, I've gained you. But yet there's always these little jabs and all these other things that come along with serving the Lord, as many of you may know. Jesus never calls his disciples ingrates. He never insists, for the most part, that they shut up and be quiet. And at the end, even after being on the cross, and for that matter, even on the day of Pentecost, and today, as a matter of fact, is Pentecost Sunday, that even after all that, he never required them to repeat their discipleship course over again. But instead he responded in a way that was respectful and taught them what lies ahead for them, that they will have a reward for their faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, you will have a reward for your faithfulness. God has great things in store for you in your future. You just must be encouraged, be patient, and endure as a disciple of Christ fully anchored in him. You might have persecutions. Again, we've been absolutely blessed in this nation. But Jesus says, finally, verse 31, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. In other words, what Jesus was saying, those who look like they have it all together, look, don't, don't, don't put your hope in that. 
Because they're not going to obtain that in which you have waiting in heaven for you. So in the eyes of God, that you are number one. In the eyes of God, he loves you more. So you're going to be first to enter into his goodness without having to worry about all the other stuff. You're not going to be last, brothers and sisters. God says, Jesus says, that you are going to be first. So will you totally commit yourself to Christ? Or will you continually hang on to the fence? Will you get into the game? Or will you continue to either be in the bleachers or be outside the stadium? What is your response to Christ today? You have a decision to make. I made mine. 